Uh, in chapters 13 and 14, which we've been in for a while now, uh, it's, it's really been one long conversation. It's two chapters, but we have here what is called the farewell discourse where Jesus is ministering to his disciples before his departure to leave them uh, to go to the cross. And he started in chapter 13, washing their feet, teaching them what it really means to be a servant. And we've seen this basically monologue, a little bit of back and forth, take place all the way through chapter 14, where he is seeking to encourage weary disciples that are being confronted and kind of really realizing the reality that he is truly going to leave, not only leave, but that he's going to die. It's going to be offered up to the chief priests. If you noticed last week when Cody finished the text, it says there at the very beginning of fourteen, uh, chapter 14, rise, let us go from here. So they do leave this location and go to another location, but overall the context has not really changed. This monologue, as it were, continues as Christ seeks to comfort his disciples and to impart them to them the truth that he wants them to grasp onto before he leaves. These are parting words. You know, if you had parting words for a loved one, for your children, final instructions to give them if you knew you were going home to be with the Lord. That's basically what we are seeing here. And if you look at your Bible, if you have a, a red letter Bible, you'll see that 15, 16, and 17 is basically all a monologue of Christ. 15, 16, he's teaching. And then in 17, we will see his high priestly prayer. So let's pick up today in chapter 15 and verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you. It is our earnest desire to bear much fruit. We want to walk faithfully before you. We want to see change in our lives. So we ask that you might do that work here, even now. Pray for just an abundant blessing of your Spirit. Lord, upon these saints and upon me, your servant, pray that you might speak through this text to us, that you might have your way in our hearts. Lord, you know the need of every single individual soul in this room, and you know the need of this body as a body. So we pray that you would sovereignly have your way in our hearts through your word, by the power of your spirit. We ask this in faith. We ask this in expectation, trusting that your word is powerful that it has the ability to change. So use us, Lord, however you see fit. Speak to us. I pray that if there is anyone in this room 
that is outside of Christ, that does not truly know Jesus in a saving way, that you might be pleased and kind today to bring that soul into your kingdom. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are like most Christians, if not all Christians, then you truly do want to grow. You have a desire to see Christ-like fruit produced in your life. You have a, a real desire to be effective for the kingdom of God, to have an impact with the gospel. You want to be a faithful husband, a faithful wife, faithful son or daughter, a faithful mother, father, church member, friend, employee. But also, if you are like most, if not all, Christians, you sometimes look at your life and wonder, is there really any change happening? Am I really all that different than I was 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Have I deceived myself? Is there any real Christ-like fruit being produced in my life? It's very easy to see our own shortcomings, our own failures. Sometimes it is difficult to see God's work in us, especially in the short term. Well, Jesus today, through a gardening metaphor, is exhorting his followers that if they hope to have any success, now I use that word success a little reluctantly, if they desire to have any success or hope to have any success, whether that is success in personal spiritual growth, in holiness, in Christ-likeness, or whether that is success in gospel ministry, whether in their families, in their larger families, in the church, wherever, then they must abide in Him. They must stay connected to the source of life. And that is the exhortation that He has for us today as well. That if we want to see any growth in our lives, any spiritual vitality or vibrance, we must abide in Christ. From the outset, I want to Briefly, before I get into my outline, just say really quick, we see something that Jesus says in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine. And what that means is that there are counterfeit vines. There are those out in this world that will offer you hope and peace and security and refuge. But they are false vines. They do not give what only Jesus Christ can give us. He says, I am the singular true vine. Vine. We'll also see that there are false branches. There are those that appear to be connected to the vine, but they eventually wither, are thrown into the fire, and burned. So the title of this message, message is Bearing Fruit. Bearing Fruit. We're going to look at four points today, four points in my outline. Firstly, number one, bearing fruit comes through the pruning of the Father. Bearing fruit comes through the pruning of the Father. Verse 1 again, he says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So Jesus uses this, this metaphor, these word pictures, images in our mind of a vine, branches, and a vine dresser or a gardener. And there's this image that we have in our mind that the vine, the, the branch is connected to the vine. Right? The branch needs the vine 
to live. If it's not connected to the vine, which is connected to the root, then the branch will have no life whatsoever. the, The branch only lives and only grows and only produces fruit because it stays connected to the vine. The vine is the branch's source of life and strength. And Jesus, and while he is physically departing, he's going to leave the presence of his disciples. They've been with him three years. He's going to send his spirit, but they've known him in the flesh. His word for them is that you must stay vitally connected to me. You must stay connected to the vine. Then we have a vine dresser or a gardener. That is the person that is there to tend to the plant, to the vine. And grapes take a lot of work. A few years back, my family and I lived in Gold Hill on Bird's Eye Creek Road. And if you're a local, it's Birdsey Creek, I learned. And at the bottom of this hill, there's a huge ranch there, a couple hundred acres, I think, Birdsey Ranch. It was there for many, many years. And uh, the, the guy, he sold it and he moved, I think, to Canada, I heard, potentially. But uh, Del Rio Winery, which is in Gold Hill also, you see them off the five, the big red barn-looking building, they bought the property and put in a second winery. It was kind of fascinating because it was on our street, and every day you went to the house or came out, we, you got to see the progress of hundreds of acres of a winery being built. So they plowed the ground, and they began to put in these stakes with all of these strings, somehow perfectly straight lines. I mean, kind of fascinating to see how somehow they, they did this. And then they planted the grapes, and then the vines started to grow up, and the branches started to grow. And I don't know if you've ever tended grapes or seen the pruning process. It's a lot of work keeping them on all these lines and trimming them back and harvesting the grapes. There's a ton of work. And they had fleets of men out there every day tending to these vines. And Jesus shows that the continual bearing fruit and pruning of his followers comes through the work of his father. The father is the the one that is pruning believers. Now, he said in verse 3, you are already clean. First, he says that you need to be pruned to bear fruit. But then he says, you're already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. I believe that Jesus speaks here of their justification. That they have right standing before God. They are right in his sight. They've been declared just or right, righteous, because of what Jesus at this point was still going to do. But they had believed in his word by faith. So he says, you are already clean. You are right before me. Listen to Matthew Poole. He is a 17th century Puritan. He speaks of our cleansing by God. And he says, in the Bible, it's attributed to multiple things. Sometimes we're cleansed by the blood of Christ. Sometimes it's the spirit of God. Sometimes it's the word of God. He says, by the blood of Christ, we are made clean as to justification. We are washed and declared right before God. But yet we have need of our feet to be washed because daily we are contacting soil in a sinful world from which we are cleansed by the purifying virtue of the Holy Spirit working by and together with his word that purges the dross and makes us obedient to the will of God. So Jesus speaks to the believer and he says, you are clean. You're standing before God 
is one of being cleansed. You are right because you are in Christ. But in time and space, you need to be pruned. You need to be cleaned up a bit. Right? Because you live in a sinful, polluted world, and it gets you dirty at times. And oh yeah, your heart is not perfectly redeemed yet. Right? There is still some work to be done, and that work will not be completed until glory. So the Father is snipping and pruning and cleaning up the branches. If you just think about what happens when a bush is pruned, there is a cutting off, right? There is a severing of branches that need to go. Sometimes those branches are still green and have much life in them. So there's some pain that is included. It's not just dead branches that are falling off, but sometimes they're green and still have life. So there's pain when the vine dresser comes to snip off those branches, but it is the vine dresser that knows best, right? He takes away what is not needed so that more fruit can be produced. Because that is the goal. The goal is Christ-likeness. The goal is the production of Christ-like fruit. So the vine dresser comes and he prunes away bad habits that might draw your hearts away from God. He deals with your prayerlessness. How does he deal with our prayerlessness? He gives us abundant reasons to drop to our knees and pray. He takes his pruning shear to our priorities and values, to relationships that might hinder our walk with him. How is it that the father, the vine dresser, does this work? Well, I think there's many ways, but I want to look at two. The first one is from Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 10. It says there that he, God, disciplines us for our good. He disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness, that we may bear fruit, that we may produce Christian fruit, as it were. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Usually, there might be an anomaly here, but usually when you have to take your kid in their room to spank them or to give them a timeout, they don't say thank you, <laughs> right? They're, they don't really appreciate discipline. And that doesn't stop when you're 3 or 5 or 12. When we're 40, 60, or 80, we still don't really appreciate discipline in the moment, right? He says that it is painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those that have been trained by it. So the father does his pruning with his rod of correction. And he does this not just to lay us low, but he does this to motivate and steer us back on that right path. Yes, amen. That we might share in his holiness and that later on, not in that moment always, but later on, it says, it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So discipline is a good and godly thing. Another one is James chapter 1 and verse 2. James there says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So trials that come through his providence. Now, I say they come through his providence because, again, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. If he is 
testing our faith through these trials, then the trials are not mere happenstance or random, but they've come through the Father's loving, providential, sovereign hands. But the trials that come are there to test our faith, our faith that it may grow to be steadfast, that doubt and fear and false hope in idols would be severed. So I ask you today, Christian believer, how is the Father pruning you back today? What thing in your life is he showing you that needs to be cut off, needs to be cut back, that it's actually a hindrance to more spiritual fruit to grow? Maybe you're a young person, teenager and adults, and you love that little black square that we all stare at for ungodly hours of the day. And you just have to be connected, right? It's social media, um, just talking to friends, listening to music. There's just this draw, right, that I'm constantly connected to the outside world. But how might the Father be today showing you that your fascination that you have with that device is actually hindering growth in Christ-likeness? That that fascinating little little piece of plastic that's full of wonders can actually be a stumbling block that gets in the way of Christ-like growth. Now, God can do whatever He wants with whatever we give Him. But He's also often showing us, hey, ditch that or cut back or see what I'm trying to do, what I desire to do. But you have to lay down that, that idol. You have to lay down that distraction so your mind can actually be set upon me. Or maybe you're here today and you're a workaholic and you find your identity and worth and value in your work. The many hours you put in the office or on the job site is how you know that you are a man, that you are a provider, that you are a, 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 a successful woman. But how might the Father be revealing to you that your preoccupation with your vocation is actually a hindrance to the growth that He is doing in your heart? Maybe it's hindering family shepherding, family leadership, family devotions at home because you're just never there. Maybe it's hindering the relationship with your wife or your husband. Maybe it's hindering your ability to serve at your church because you're so bogged down with endless hours on the job. What today is the father pruning? And sometimes he's gracious. Sometimes he just lops limbs off, right? And they come off and they hurt. Sometimes you have those big, I'm not a gardener, those big lopper things, you know, <laughs> and you got a big branch, you got a big branch and you got to work it and work it and kind of spin it around and really try to fight that thing. And eventually it comes off. Sometimes the father might be gracious and kind of slowly be working at that branch, that limb that needs to go. It's a hindrance, but he's trying to get your attention to say, hey, I'm, I'm working here. I don't want to, I don't want to put a little roadblock where you fall on your face, but I will if I need to. Wake up before it's, it gets to that point. Number two, bearing fruit comes through total dependence upon Christ. Bearing fruit comes through total dependence upon Jesus. Verse four, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, 
you can do nothing. Now, let's remember the setting again. Remember the context. He is giving parting words to his closest friends as the realization of his impending death is finally beginning to sink in a bit. And he basically gives two statements, two subpoints here. Number one, you will have no spiritual fruit apart from abiding in me. You will have no spiritual fruit apart from abiding in me. The word abide simply means to remain, to stay, to continue on. And the branch then, as it were, has no life apart from abiding in the vine. Imagine if you had a big apple tree out here that was just plumb full of apples. And you took a saw to a big branch that was just filled with apples. And you saw that limb off and you have that limb and it's full of apples. And it looks like there's much life in it, right? There's still sap in the wood. You can't really break that limb. It's still soft and it bends if you try to break it. It's full of apples. It's, it, it looks like it's producing much fruit. But the moment you severed it from the tree, it is no longer abiding in the vine and it will not produce fruit from that point. Now, it looks healthy, but you set it on the ground for a couple days and come back. It's going to start to wither. The fruit is going to be rotten and it's going to be apparent and obvious there is no longer any life in that branch because it's been severed from the tree. Jesus is saying to his disciples, do not think that at any point you can separate yourself from the vine and continue to have spiritual fruit. Without the continual influence and vital connection to the vine, the branch is completely hopeless. And that means that Jesus is not just a means to how we get saved. Jesus is not just the one that saves us, and then we go on with our life just living however we please, separated from the vine because of some decision that I might have made at some point in my life. And now, yes, I'm a Christian, but I just kind of do my thing apart from the vine. But to have any true growth in holiness and spiritual strength, I need to be vitally connected to Jesus. I need to be feeding on and receiving from and anchoring my hope in the only true vine. This last week, we prayed for this church for a growth in spiritual communion. Spiritual communion. Believers certainly are united to Christ by faith. And, and church, that is a glorious promise that if you have believed upon Jesus, then you have this mysterious spiritual union with Jesus, that can never be taken away. But the abiding, the abiding is that daily plugging in and feeding off of the vine. As Matthew Poole said just up above, he said, Our feet are in soil every day that is polluted with sin. And if we want to not be beat down by this world and filled by its pollution, then we must be daily receiving our spiritual sustenance from the vine, which is Christ. So I ask you this question, are you abiding in Christ? It is not enough for the branch to grow on the vine and then depart and go on its own. It is not enough for the branch to come back to the vine every few weeks or every few months. If so, it will shrivel and perish. It will be emaciated and weak and have no life. But Jesus says, abide in me. Continue steadfastly coming to me, drink from my well, 
Allow my word to renew your mind, your mind that is accosted daily by this fallen world. Allow my word daily to be the renewal and the refreshing that you so need. He says, bring your burdens and petitions to me. He says, I always live to make intercession for you. As I quoted uh, last week, uh, this quote that I appreciated, he said that Jesus' daily intercession for his saints is every day him hitting refresh on your justification. New every day are the promises of God for you. This is why, this abiding is why we have been, as a church this year, reading and memorizing Scripture together. To have a steady diet of the Word filling our hearts and minds. Some of us need that extra motivation to have a systematic approach or we're just kind of willy-nilly here or there in the Word of God. But the reading plan this year is helping us continue kind of steadfastly in that and reading broadly, not just reading the books that we kind of fall back on. But it's also that we might have fellowship as a body in the same text, in the same scriptures. That as Christ is ministering to all of us in a special way through the Word of God, It's all the same stuff that we're reading as he's speaking to our souls in various ways throughout the week. If you have not taken advantage of this, I would encourage you to join us. It's never too late. Reading plans out there. If you have Bible apps, this reading plan, Robert Murray McShea, is in most, if not all of them. We're also memorizing Scripture, trying to hide it in our hearts. Uh, This is a means of grace that Christ has given to help us to abide. This is why we gather on Wednesday evenings. Because we need a soul-satisfying gospel refill in the middle of the week. We need a soul recharge when we are weary throughout the week, when the grace of the Lord's day is depleting fellowship with Christ through His Word and with His people helps us to abide, to continue on in Him. Now, I cannot bind your conscience and tell you that you must come Wednesday evening. The Bible doesn't command that you attend a midweek service. I I think according to Scripture, I can bind your conscience and say you ought to be here on Sundays, on the Lord's Day, for worship. Um, But if you have not taken advantage of this means of grace, I might ask you, why not? Join us Wednesday night. It's been a sweet time of fellowship, of growing together, of growing in the Word, of abiding in Christ together, strengthening one another. So if you can, I know life happens, but I want to invite you to that. Again, are you abiding in Christ? Are you taking advantage of the means of grace? Are you daily pursuing Jesus and fanning the flames of passionate communion with Christ as the vine? He says, you will have no spiritual fruit apart from abiding in me. And secondly, he says, you can do nothing apart from me. You can do nothing apart from me. Again, verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I think he's really pressing his disciples here. You need me. You need me for everything. Do not neglect me when I depart. You know, there's a saying out there. It's kind of cliche, but out of sight, out of mind, right? And it's true, right? When you're away from something, someone, and life goes on, it's easy to just kind of not sense them, their need, whatever it might be. Maybe you've had to spend extended time away from your spouse for a job, for military service or something, and it's very difficult 
right away. And then as life goes on, you just kind of get in your routine. It, it's, it's, it's more and more normal. And I think Jesus wants them to know and impress upon them that, yes, I've been with you three years and you've seen me face to face. They're this one unique Christian generation that walked with Christ and then didn't have him. Only one. All of us since that point have lived by faith and not by sight. They had him for three years and he's going to be gone and he's impressing upon their hearts. You desperately need me. Do not forget about me when I am gone. You need me for everything because apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen to Matthew Henry. He says, abstracted, taken away from the merit of Christ, we can do nothing towards our justification. So apart from what Christ did at Calvary, we can take not one single step towards God, towards justifying ourselves. And without the Spirit of Christ, we can do nothing towards our sanctification. Without Christ, we can do nothing aright, nothing that will be fruit-pleasing to God or profitable for ourselves. We depend on Christ. Not only as the vine upon the wall that depends upon the wall to support it, but also as the branch depends upon the root for sap and for life. We can do no thing without Christ. And we literally have no thing if we do not have Jesus. Number three, bearing fruit and abiding in Christ is the key evidence that one is saved. Bearing fruit and abiding in Christ is the key evidence that one is truly in Christ. Verse six, Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So bearing much fruit proves, reveals that someone is a disciple. We see language like this all over God's word. John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3 saw Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism. And he says to them, as only John the Baptist can, you brood of vipers, right? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, right? They were a people that loved the law, were supposedly living perfectly according to the law. And he says, if you are a penitent people, bear fruit that would that would coincide with your supposed repentance. If you are repenting, there should be fruit there. Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. Or how about lastly, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And what is he like? He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season. Its leaves do not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. 
They're like chaff that the wind drives away. In this verse, Jesus has come out swinging a two-edged sword. A two-edged sword. On one side of this sword is a sober warning. Very strong words. He speaks here in this text of the fires of judgment. Branches that wither, they are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. That not abiding in him is evidence that one is not connected to the vine. When the branch shrivels up and has no life in it, it has clearly been severed from the source of life. That means that professing Christians, those that say, I am a believer, I am in Christ, that have no regard for Jesus, no regard for His Word, no regard for Christian fellowship, no regard for worship, no regard for prayer, other than maybe asking God to give them things, that person ought to soberly heed a text like this. Because the warnings in Scripture are many, and they are there for a reason. All right, let, me, let me make that even a bit more personal. If for whatever reason you're here today, and you're kind of just here, I mean, you're physically present. Maybe your spouse drags you to church every week. Right? Nobody knows that, but it's pulling you out of bed, gets you to come to church. Maybe your mom or dad drags you to church every week. Maybe you're here because it's easier to have peace in the home if you just go with the flow instead of saying, I just really want to go to church. Maybe you're just right now counting the minutes. When will this be over? I want to go do what I want to do. When will this finally be done? If you can go throughout your week with little regard for Christ, little regard for his word, little regard for his people, without someone prompting you, the name of Jesus never even comes into your mind. And friend, by definition, you are not abiding in Christ. You need to hear these words soberly. Jesus is not talking about branches. He is talking about souls that will be separated, severed, thrown into the eternal fires of judgment under the just wrath of a holy God. There is no refuge outside of Jesus Christ. You cannot get by on your parents' faith. You cannot get by on your spouse's faith. Your physical presence in this building means nothing towards your justification. It is only those that trust and only those that abide in the vine that are not, according to Christ, cast off and thrown into the fire. The abiding is the evidence that one is truly connected to the vine. But I said this was a double-edged sword. On one side of this sword is a sober warning. On the other side is sweet hope and assurance for Christians. Because, beloved, if you are here today and you are abiding in Christ, if you are seeing spiritual fruit in your life as imperfect as it is, as imperfect as all of our walks are, then Jesus says, when you bear fruit, you prove to be my disciples. That means that Christians need not hear these words and fear that we ought to hear these words and rejoice. If you are abiding today in Christ, if you are sensing the keeping and staying power of the risen Lord as he brings you to himself, as if he is revealing to you a daily need and dependence upon him, then you can know, Jesus says, that, that you are his. 
and that he is yours. And really, this is what we all need, right? We need assurance that we are in Christ. If we have, I believe, truly, if a believer has this one confidence that I am his and he is mine, then we can face whatever it is that life throws our way. If I can have absolute certainty that I am in Christ. Those that bear fruit, that abide in him, he says, prove to be my disciples. Then lastly, number four, bearing fruit brings glory to God. Bearing fruit brings glory to God. He says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Is this not the desire of all Christians? That our lives would be a lighthouse pointing the world to an all-merciful, all-gracious God. That all that we do would not be for our own glory, but would be towards His glory. And that in some small way, in some small way, my life as the chief of sinners might reflect the transforming grace of God as the Father does His pruning work removing those dead branches, removing those withering limbs, removing that rotten fruit to allow Christ-like fruit to be produced. God is glorified as you, Christian, abide in Jesus. He says again in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Beloved, abide in Christ. He is the vital source of strength and vitality that you must have. Do you need spiritual strength for ministry? Spiritual strength for marriage? For parenting? For dealing with a difficult boss? Difficult members of your family? Abide in Him. Stay connected to the vine. Receive that sweet sap from Christ through the means of grace. Do you need strength to be kept away from this world as the tentacles of temptation grab us as they do? Abide in Him. Stay connected daily to the source of all life. And Jesus Himself says, if you do, you will bear much fruit. You will be effective for kingdom work and all that Christ has called you to. Amen? Let me pray. Father, we do... We do thank you that you've given us this precious promise that for those that abide in Jesus, that we will bear fruit, that we do have life, that it proves that we are your disciples. Lord, we know the moment that we stray from the vine, we begin to wither. We begin to get weak. We begin to get influenced by ungodliness instead of godliness. We begin to succumb to temptation that when connected to the vine, we had the strength and grace to reject. So I pray for each and every soul in this room that we might be a people that abide in Christ, that we stay vitally connected to the source of life, that we come after you daily in this pursuit to have more of you, to know you, to commune with you, to learn of you, to draw near to you, to behold you, behold your majesty. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Pray that you might bless the ring of your word to your church. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.